If you would please open your Bibles, and I say this with great fear and trepidation, open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22. When preachers get together, the conversation will inevitably uh, go around to what are you preaching right now, or what have you preached recently, or what are your plans for preaching soon. And so I was with one of my friends, Chad McDonald, who's pastor of Lenexa Baptist Church uh, at a layover in Dallas when we were on our way to Peru back in May together, and that's where the conversation got to. And then we started talking about books that we have not yet preached through, and neither one of us, and I'm older than Chad, so I've had more uh, opportunity to be unfaithful, um, <laughs> both of us uh, came to the conclusion that we had never preached through Revelation start to finish on a Sunday morning. And then we both agreed that neither of us would do so until it was time for us to retire. Um, because there has maybe been no other book of the Bible that has been more abused than the book of Revelation. Uh, most of us probably think we know it, um, and have studied it, but what passes for study, I'm afraid for too many of us, is not real study of the text. It's more indoctrination in one understanding of the book of Revelation. Or we have convinced ourselves we're students of it because we read a series of very bad novels that were very popular uh, not long ago. One staff member has the entire collection in his office, and he is shamed uh, all the time for having the entire collection. If you have it at home, Nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> and then um, I think there is a, a tendency for some of us to have a hard time really understanding Revelation because we're so steeped in the American dream that it's beyond our capability of understanding that there are times when hardship is a blessing and not a curse from God. And so I have decided that I will not preach through Revelation until the months before my retirement because if I tick you off, um, you'll say, well, the crazy Okut's moving to Arizona in a few months anyway. <laughs> because the book, again, has been badly, badly mistreated. But for all of its, and let's just be honest with one another, for all of its weirdness, for all of the things that are crazy to modern eyes as we read it, ears as we hear about it. It's, it, again, I fall back this a lot. The Bible was written as a simple message to simple people. And there is a simple message, so simple that a child could understand it, that drives the entire book of Revelation. And that's all I'm going to focus on this morning. So, you know, if you're expecting me to fill out your map for you, your timeline, you can just put all of that stuff neatly away. I, I don't agree probably with any map that is present here today uh, as far as all of that goes. We're not going to get there, but we're going to talk about this simple, simple message that, that drives the book. But frankly, it, it really serves as the culmination for all of Scripture. So I hope you found Revelation chapter 22. Verse 6 is where we'll start today. Would you stand, please, as we honor the reading of God's Word? And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angels to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one 
who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he, the angel, said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and let the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let those who hear say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in this tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. You may be seated. There's a lot of that. It probably seemed very strange. Some, some things that were maybe difficult for you to, to be able to latch onto and, and to grasp as we went through it. But again, tying it all together is something that is really very simple. By this point in the book of Revelation, the whirlwind of visions that have characterized the book almost from the beginning are receding fast into the distance. And what we are left with is John, the one who was given the prophecy of this book, the angel who gave the prophecy of this book, and then the voice of Jesus. And it is in the words of the angel and in the words of Christ himself that we come to two very simple conclusions about the message of this book which make it so important for every Jesus follower to pay attention to. They're simple things. If you came expecting some, some fancy outline and some silver dollar theological words, you're about to be disappointed. All right, but here is the first simple word. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. To underscore the certainty of that truth, we see it spoken three different times. Any time in Scripture you see something stated three times, it's to underscore the veracity and to emphasize that this is true. In Isaiah chapter 6, we hear the angels cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Underscoring, emphasizing that all that is true about God is true. But the thing that we need to lay on to is the fact that our God 
is holy. And so when we read in Revelation chapter 22 that Jesus is coming and we see it three different times, it is to encourage those of us who go to bed thinking there's just been one mass shooting and then wake up seeing there's been another. That Jesus is coming. Just as he came 2,000 years ago to the Bethlehem manger, Jesus is coming. But even in the three times that that statement is made, we are to pick up on varying emphases that are given to us. The first emphasis when we see the first statement that Jesus is coming is an emphasis on obedience. An emphasis on obedience. I want you to read some words that maybe you've never really thought about before. Look at verse 7. And behold, I am coming soon. And then, and then get this. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Have you ever thought about that? Keep the words of the prophecy. Most of us think of prophecy only in the predictive sense. In other words, when we see that there are prophets in the Bible and that they are uttering prophecies, our tendency is to think that they are predicting the future. There's a predictive understanding of prophecy. And that is actually only a very small part of what we are to understand prophecy and prophets in the Bible. Actually, when you get right down to it, a prophet is a preacher. In fact, one of my favorite books on the Old Testament, really studying the the books of the prophets in the Old Testament is a book called The Prophets as Preachers. That's what they are. They, they proclaimed a word from God to the people. There was at times a predictive aspect of this. But most of the time, what they are doing is simply proclaiming a word from God to the people. And so the way we are to take this book is less dissecting it so that we can understand the predictions and more, and this is from Jesus himself, more understand it as a word from God that we are to keep. So how are we to keep the words of the prophecy of the book of Revelation? Well, if you go back through it, you will see quite plainly that there are command, that there is a command after a command. There are calls to obedience over and over again. A call to live faithfully, a call to repent if there is sin in our lives. And if you were to summarize the weight of all of those commands, essentially what the book of Revelation is calling us to do is prioritize our relationship with Jesus because he's coming soon. And to live zealously for him. Because he's, because he's coming soon. And to live sacrificially for him. Because he is coming. So there is an emphasis in this first, I am coming, on the obedience that the book calls us to. And we're to reflect on how we prioritize Christ in our relationship with him. And, and are we zealously guarding that relationship and, and are we doing our, our, our very best to uh, uh, keep our, our lives um, in such a state of situational awareness that we're willing to sacrifice for him if it comes down to it? But the next thing that we see, the next emphasis, falls on judgment. So the first emphasis is on obedience. The second one 
is on judgment. If you would please look at verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, to be certain, just to be honest, the word judge does not show up there at all, does it? But you do see the word reward. And there's only one other time that the word reward is used in the book of Revelation, and it's back in chapter 11. If you want to, you can go there with me. Let's go to Revelation chapter 11, verse 18. Here's the only other time that we see the word reward or a form of it used in the book of Revelation. Verse 18, the nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and the saints. What do we see there? We see side by side the idea of reward and judgment, rewarding the righteous and judging the unrighteous, used side by side. And that is actually present in our text in Revelation chapter 22. The idea of judgment is actually present in the text because look at verse 14. After saying he's coming to reward, to, to repay, it says, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to enter, uh, have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gate. So, so there's this aspect of, of, being, of being rewarded alongside this idea of judgment. Rewarded for what we have done, and what we have done is wash our robes, and, and because we've washed our robes, we're able to have access to the tree of life. And that should cause us a little bit of problem right there. Because, because the idea of reward for what we have done is something that goes against grace, at least in our minds, right? I mean, we've always been told that we're saved by grace. And yet here Jesus is saying that I'm rewarding you on the basis of what you've done, provided you've washed your robes, you get eternal life. So have we heard a message of grace all the way through the Bible and then right there at the end God changes his mind? No. It's important to understand the nature of the washing that is being spoken of here. Again, using the book of Revelation to help us understand Revelation, if you go back to chapter 7, verse 14, Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, again, jumping right in the middle of a whole lot of things going on, just wanting to point out the concept to you. Verse 14 says, um, I said to him, sir, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of Jesus. So do you see the basis of the reward that is being talked about in Revelation chapter 22 is less about what we are doing morally or religiously. It is really all about what we have decided to do with Jesus. If we have taken all of our sin and if we've taken all of our shortcomings and laid them at the feet of Jesus and allowed this, this fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins to wash away all our guilty stains, if we have put everything in on Jesus and surrendered ourselves to him, on the basis of that we have access to the tree of life and the judgment of God is you have given yourself to my son Jesus. And you are rewarded by his mercy and by his grace for having 
done that. But those who have not done that are going to experience the, the fruits of that decision that they have made. So the first idea that comes with this, behold, I am coming, is the idea of obedience. Are we being faithful in our relationship with Christ? The second idea is on the idea of judgment. Have we surrendered ourselves to this Jesus as our Savior and Lord? Have we had our lives washed in the blood of Jesus? But the second one deserves treatment all by itself, or excuse me, the third one deserves treatment all by itself. So if the first uh, kind of message, kind of truth that we're to draw from Revelation 22 is Jesus is coming, the second one is this, Jesus is coming soon. We are to come away with the idea that Jesus is coming and that Jesus is coming soon. He, in fact, has said it many times, but I want you to look at verse 30. It's the last word from Jesus in the Bible. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. So be it. Come, Lord Jesus. Last thing he tells us, is I am coming soon. And 2,000 years have passed, and he's still not here. So what gives? Well, you have to make a decision. One decision that you could make, I don't recommend that you do this, is to think that somehow Jesus was mistaken, he misunderstood, and that really wasn't what God meant for him to communicate, the idea of coming soon. Or, or you could say, well, Jesus said it, so it must be true. So therefore, I need some understanding cultivated in my life. So how do we cultivate that understanding? And that, that understanding is understood in kind of a macro sense as we think about all of the Bible in this way. From the Jewish perspective... Formed for us in the Old Testament, the last days, the last thing on God's calendar for the world that he created, the last days began at the first advent of Jesus. In other words, with the coming of the Messiah, a Jewish person would have recognized that God doesn't have anything left to do with the world that doesn't culminate in this person. And so with the Messiah showing up, we are living in the last days. So Jesus is not wrong. He's speaking to a Jewish person from a Jewish perspective and underscoring his Messiahship. I am the Messiah. You are living in the last days. Therefore, take heed. I am coming soon. But every generation that has ever lived has figured out some way <laughs> to read the scrolls or the newspaper and say, well, we're that generation. He's, he's going to come, not just in my lifetime, he, he's going to come any minute. He can flat come at any minute. There was a man in my first church that I served as pastor, Charles Gowan. I was in rural Tennessee, and man, I'm telling you what, if you want to talk about a group of people that love them some revelation, you pastor a small rural southern church. And he could sense that from his perspective, when it came to Revelation, I was a whack job. 
I, I wasn't any braver than I am right now. I didn't preach from it there in, in Leoma Baptist Church. But he knew, he knew that I didn't believe it like he did. And he used to come to me all the time. He'd say, preacher, I'm going to cheat the undertaker. Meaning that he was going to be alive in Jesus' return. He wasn't going to die. God bless him, he was wrong. <laughs> and the problem that people like Charles, who was as good a gold and loved Jesus with all his heart, the problem with people like Charles and like us is that we have taken coming soon to mean I, I, I could come any second. And that is not the understanding that we are to take away from Revelation. When Jesus says, I am coming soon, he is speaking to the book itself, which pays, uh, portrays for us the season in which he would return, what the times would be like where he would return. And he's calling us to live with a sense of imminence in the sense that we are to all understand that any one of us could be living in a time that reveals itself to be the season where Christ could return. And that's what Jesus is doing here to us. He is saying to us, there will come a time when all of the dominoes of world history will make their last turn. And if you're alive when that happens, get ready. Because I am coming soon. So while I don't live with a... Uh, an understanding or a sense that Jesus could return in five seconds. I do look at the internet when I wake up on mornings like this and see that there's been another shooting and that mankind's basic treatment of one another is degrading and think maybe this is the, maybe this is the beginning. Maybe this is the beginning. But if you're like me, and I think most of you are, that doesn't make you scared. That doesn't make you nervous. It makes you hopeful. Because you understand with all of that junk that you see routinely, all of that junk is eventually going to be made right with the return of the king for his kingdom. That's what's going to happen. So I'm hopeful when I read that. But there is a sense, and the book is pretty clear on this, where that should not make us hopeful. Behold, I'm coming soon. I could come. The season of my return could be upon you. And for some, over the years, when they have heard that, proclaimed, they think, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm a follower of Jesus. I've not prioritized my relationship with Jesus. I've not been zealous to guard my relationship with Jesus. I can't honestly say that 
I'm sacrificial in my relationship with Jesus because it would come as a shock to my co-workers that I'm a Christian. It should unnerve us in that sense and call us when we hear the words of the revelation to prioritize our relationship with Christ and to zealously guard our relationship with Christ and to steal ourselves to live sacrificially. But then there are those that it does more than unnerve, it leads to despair. Because you say, you know what? If what you just read is true, I'm not ready. I've never, I've never given myself to that Jesus. And there are groups of people that will say, I've never given myself to Jesus, and I don't believe I can give myself to Jesus because of this awful thing or things about my life. And I just don't think I'd ever be worthy of what, what Jesus says he wants to do for people. My uncle Marvin, um, last night, uh, after I went to sleep, I found out this morning when I woke up, um, passed away. He, um, I mentioned him to you um, last week that he was nearing uh, the end of his life. And, um, and uh, man, he's, he was a good guy. I... I um, I mean, and I, I don't say this derisively at all. I've, I've shared this with you before, but I mean, my tribe's Arkansas hillbillies. And I'm not just saying everybody from Arkansas is hillbillies, but what I'm telling you is that my group is. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, all of the characters, what people go to Silver Dollar City to kind of find Coint is a family reunion. <laughs> all right? We just are. That's, that's just who we are. And uh, Marvin fit right in on all that. Truck driver, over-the-road truck driver. Um, into his 80s, an over-the-road truck driver. Good, good guy. But I never saw any uh, real prioritization of a life with Jesus to the point that I would have made the assumption not based on his character, because again, he was a good guy, but just based on the assumption of his priorities that he wasn't a follower of Jesus, and that concerns me. About a month ago, about a month ago, a preacher was talking to him, knowing that the end was coming. And they said, you know, Marvin, where do you stand with Jesus? And Marvin said what a lot of people say in, in modern American life. He said, well, when I was a boy, I was baptized. But then he said, but I've done a lot of bad things. And he had a history, good guy, but he had a history. Won't go into it, but he had a history. Done a lot of bad things. And that preacher, not knowing his life, but hearing that testimony, said, do you want to make sure? Marvin said, I believe I do. And so he gave his life from my perspective, from my understanding of theology, he gave his life to Christ about a month ago. And so last night at, uh, at around 10 o'clock, this guy had done a lot of bad things, was ushered into the presence of Jesus. So if you, if you hear the whole, uh, 
You know, I'm coming soon with dread because you're not ready because you've done a lot of bad things. I want you to hear the last, highest maybe, note of grace in all the Bible. Verse 17, the Spirit and the bride say, come. And, and let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, done a lot of bad things. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one not who's perfect, not who has all their ducks in a row, but let the one who desires take the water of life without prize. Grace all the way through to the very end. And so, church family, Jesus is coming, and Jesus is coming soon. The Spirit and the Bride say come. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.